Mark 9, verse 43 to verse 48. I will just read those words uh, for you again. The outline in front of you says, Hell is real. Jesus says, And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Several cities around the country have been under sustained attacks or protests, some call them, from the environmental pressure group Extinction Rebellion. They are using boats to block traffic. They chain themselves to trains and airports and even to MPs' houses. Some have been smashing windows. As I think about Extinction Rebellion, it's true to say it is impossible to, to agree with their attacks, isn't it? But we have to agree that given what they believe, their actions are entirely consistent with their beliefs. If you know anything about Extinction Rebellion is that their logo is an hourglass inside a circle. It symbolizes that time is running out for all of us. The world is ready to be burned in flames. They believe climate change is an emergency. And because they believe that, they are taking every action to make sure that everyone pays attention. They want the world to act. And they are willing to force the world to act. You might not agree with them, but we see the logic. If their vision of the future is correct, then their actions are entirely logical. As I think about Extinction, Extinction Rebellion, I realize that Jesus is a bit like Extinction Rebellion. It might shock you. Because Jesus also believes that the world is in grave danger. But where Jesus differs from Extinction Rebellion is that Jesus doesn't believe we're about to be extinct in the future. Jesus believes, actually, that we live forever, forever and ever with our end. But, and the problem with that, you might say that's a wonderful thing, but actually the reason Jesus is concerned about that is that he teaches us that unless we act on his message, when we die, we are going to be punished at the very hands of God without end. We will suffer eternal conscious torment in hell. Jesus takes the threat of hell so seriously that he preached on hell more than anyone else in the Bible. The theological experts tell us 13% of Jesus' messages are on hell. That is one in 10 sermons. If you like, if Jesus was the pastor of Grace Baptist Church, Bexley, if preaching morning and evening, you would hear a sermon about hell from him once every five weeks. That's nearly like every month you have a sermon just on hell. 
Why did Jesus preach so many sermons on hell? Well, the reason for that is that because Jesus created hell. Jesus is God the Son and is the one who created hell. He knows the horrors of hell. So when he entered the human race, when he became one of us, he prioritized it. He chained himself, if you like, to the message to ensure that people know about the horror of hell. So as I thought about this message, I thought to myself, Lord, I don't really want to preach about hell. I don't really want to preach about this subject. It's too difficult. I don't like hell, and, it's, and if you like hell, then there is, I would suggest there's a serious problem with you. It's a horrific topic. We don't want to hear it, and I can already sense from your, some of your posture is that really this, you, are, you, gotta have, you think to yourself, I've got to endure now 35 minutes. Perhaps the pastor today might even go on for longer of this. And, and I sympathize with that. I understand that uh, it's a horrific topic. Uh, I, I can honestly say I have never sat in the church and heard anyone preach on hell as a topic. I mean, touched on it. And I would say for myself, this is the first time I'm actually having to preach on it as a topic. But Jesus did. One in every five sermons. One in every ten sermons, sorry. And therefore, he prioritizes it. And therefore, what that means to me is that as a pastor, I have to preach about it because it's in front of us. We are going by the Bible verse by verse. And it means I have had to do this week and the last few weeks as I've thought about this subject, take off the earplugs and just listen to Jesus speak to me about hell. My danger of going to hell. And I just want to share what I learned as I've thought about this passage. And there are three things that Jesus taught me as I've been thinking about this subject. It's been so difficult, I have to say, to just narrow this down that it's been a very difficult week just preparing this message. But bear with me now just as I share three things in your outline of what Jesus says here. The first thing he says in Mark 9 verse 43 to verse 48 is that hell is a terrible place to live in. Hell is a terrible place to live. I don't know what you consider as the most dangerous place to live on earth. For me, it is the odd mining town of Centralia in Pennsylvania, U.S. The, the town used to have a thousand people, but now signs are everywhere around the town warning every visitor who goes there of the dangers of uh, asphyxiation or something like that, or being swallowed up by the ground. You see, the town, this town of Centralia is a smoldering ghost town that has been burning for over half a century. How did it become like this? Well, it started with a fire intentionally to burn the landfill in 1962. That's what they're trying to do, just buy, burn a landfill area. The problem was that the landfill was also an old pit mine, which, was, which is connected to a, to a maze of abandoned underground mining tunnels full of coal. So even though the town is um, uh, the town extinguished the fire from the from the pit above ground, actually a much bigger fire, an inferno, was burning underneath Centralia. 
And it didn't take long before eventually that fire came to the surface and engulfed all of St. Mary. The thousand people just had to start moving one by one, people being sick. Some died, of course, there. The fire became so widespread, it's destructive. And even now, the town of Centralia is burning. The expert says there's enough coal underneath Centralia to burn for 250 years. That's what I think about when I think of the worst place to live. Why would I want to live there? It's terrible. But when Jesus thinks about the most dangerous place in all of God's creation, it's an, it's an, he doesn't think of Centralia. He's thinking of another place where the fire never stops burning. And that place is hell. In this passage we read, Jesus mentions the existence of hell three times. Did you notice that? In verse 43, the second sentence, he says, It is better for you to enter life crippled than with, with, than with two hands, crippled than with two hands to go to hell. In verse 45, he says, It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. Verse 47, it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Here's what you need to know about this word hell. Uh, the original word for hell Jesus is using here is Gehenna. Uh, that's in the New Testament Greek, but in, it's actually derived, it's a transliteration of a word in Hebrew which means Hinnom Valley. What's that about? Well, the Hinnom Valley was a place south of Jerusalem where King Heas and King Manasseh offered child sacrifices to the pagan idol Molech. And God was so angry about this that throughout the Old Testament, prophets prophesied judgment, punishment on the valley of Enom. And over time, as the people have studied this scripture, the Jews studied this scripture, when they thought of God, the hell, that final place of judgment, they then started calling it Gehenna or the Hinnom Valley. The only image they could think of where God is so angry at, at what has been done was Gehenna. And that, of course, came to symbolize the actual place that Jesus called hell. Jesus adopts this name, you see, Gehenna, to say, think of Gehenna. God's fiery judgment in the Old Testament. And think, that, think then that this place God has actually created, this eternal place, this place called hell, where God's wrath and judgment is concentrated. Hell is a place of terrible suffering, where, like Centralia, the fire never burns. Look at verse 43 again, how Jesus describes hell there. He says, to the unquenchable fire. A fire that never stops. Notice what he says in verse 47. It is better, verse 48, where their worm does not die. Whatever is in there doesn't die, and yet there is fire there that is not quenched. Jesus actually tells us in Matthew 25, verse 30, that hell is also a place of outer darkness. The Apostle Jude describes hell as a place of outer darkness. Now you have these interesting images, isn't it? This, and, and of course, the passage tells us hell is a place of, of, of gnashing of teeth. So you have these different images, fire and darkness. And immediately we begin to understand that these images are trying to describe for us something we can't understand. 
It's like somebody trying to describe for us what is inside the sun, at the core of the sun. We've never been there. We've never seen it. But Jesus has seen it. And he's using all these images, just trying to convey to you just the horror of hell. It is beyond limit. It's beyond our limit of understanding. It is beyond words. The way to think about this is that whatever you think of hell, it is worse than that. Just whatever you're thinking hell is right now, it is worse, infinitely beyond that. It is worse than all the torture chambers of human history put together. Think of the worst atrocities in human history. The worst torture in human history. It's beyond that. Uh, most importantly, Jesus wants to know that the horror of hell lasts forever and ever. It just never ends. There is no relief in sight, ever. That's how hell is like. But it's beyond that, even beyond my words. The reason why it matters that we understand that is because hell is not empty. Hell is not a problem 10 years from now. Hell is a problem now for all of us. And hell itself continues to receive new residents every second. Every second, many people die. And they are going straight if they do not know Jesus into hell. And they are not going there by choice. In fact, there is a sense in which they take themselves by choice. But we are told here that God throws sinners into hell. Why is that? Well, it brings us to the second point, isn't it? The reason for that is that God punishes sinners in hell forever. So the second thing I learned this week from this passage is first of all that, G, that, that, that hell is a terrible place to live. The second thing is that God punishes sinners in hell forever. You see, the grand delusion of all human beings, of all of us, is that we can sin against God and everything will still work out in the end because God is so in love with us. You see, many people, when they think of God, they regard God as a, an abused lover that has nowhere else to go no matter how terrible we treat her or how terrible we treat him. He's just committed to us. He will never leave. And many people treat God like that. But Jesus, who is God, says, no, God is the opposite. Three times here, Jesus reminds us that anyone who keeps sinning against God will go to hell. Look at verse 44 again. The first line of verse 33, sorry. Verse 44 doesn't exist. Verse 43. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Verse 45. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Verse 47. And if your eyes causes you to sin, tear it out. Oh, the word for sin here is, means to stumble. Or fall away from God. And immediately when you think about that, it, it reminds you that sin isn't so much here missing the mark. It is stumbling. It's falling away. It is a basic disposition that is in all of us to have rebel against God. And what Jesus is saying is that every human being who lives in rebellion against God will go to hell. Notice he's not talking about specific sins that you may think of, homosexuality or murder. He just said, if you are a sinner... You are headed to hell. If you continue living in sin, which is what everyone is, you are headed to hell by default. 
That is the default. Hell is the default position of every single human being. Everyone born into this world is at war with God. Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 3 says this. Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 3. Paul describing the fate of human beings says, And you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and where by nature, that's important, by nature, by simply being born into this world, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. There is a sense in which every human being as they are born into this world, they are already in hell, so to speak. And so what happens is that they then, when they die, reach the fullness of that experience in hell. When God sends them to the actual physical place, hell. The wrath of God is already on every single human being when they enter this world. We are all children of wrath. All children of hell. All human beings are by nature on the road to hell. And when we get to hell, the punishment, as I say, will be inflicted on you by God. Not Satan, as we see in movies, but by God himself. Look at verse 47 again. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be what? To be thrown into hell. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Can you imagine taking your hand and gouging your, your, out your own eye? Can you just imagine that for a minute? You, you, you try and take your eye out. It's horrible, isn't it? You wouldn't do it. Jesus says, as horrible as it is, gurging, removing your eye out, digging your eye out, it is far better to do that than being in hell. Can you imagine taking your, sort of your soul and start t- cutting off your leg yourself? Jesus says, as terrible as that is, it is better than being in hell. Why? Because the suffering that awaits you in hell is not only terrible, it is conscious torment. You feel pain now in your life, but you feel infinite pain in hell, sustained yet by God himself to preserve and keep you. Not for a single moment will you escape pain. It is the whole wrath of God trained on you for eternity. Every moment there will be pain. There will be no escape. Just waves and waves of punishment from God himself. You know, I don't know about you, but I've experienced pain in my life. Some of it physical pain where I've just been unwell and I've cried on my bed. Oh, Lord, help me from this. I just feel so much pain. And I'll be crying and weeping. Or sometimes I've, 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 something has happened. Like I remember when my mother was unwell and she had to have her leg amputated. I wept and cried at the emotional pain as I thought about my mother had that situation. I couldn't sleep. I was under such strain and pain. But you know what? Even then, I knew that there was a limit to our pain. I knew that it was going to stop. So I was afflicted, but I knew relief will come at some point. Friends, I cannot even imagine the physical pain of 
endless suffering. The emotional void of hurting without anyone there to comfort you. The idea, the the truth that all of creation has turned against you and that God isn't there to comfort you, but is there to crush you and sustain you in the crushing. To keep you like that. To suffer knowing there is no escape. I just can't imagine that. And the aura of what Jesus is saying is, I just thought about this, it's impossible to come to terms with it. And the truth of the matter is that there are only two reactions you can have to hell. You can laugh and say, well, it's just a silly joke. You can do that. To do that, of course, is not to believe God exists, it's to not believe Jesus is God and so forth. That's, people adopt that. The other reaction is weeping. Weeping. Because you cannot be indifferent to hell. It's either a ridiculous idea or you, it causes you to weep. But there is no middle road. There is no boredom, as it were. There isn't anywhere between hell that you're just indifferent. Like, it's somebody's idea. Because when Jesus thought of hell, when he went, it, it, it caused him to weep. You remember when he went to Jerusalem? He wept at Jerusalem. He says he wished he could gather Jerusalem. He could gather them like a mother gathers her ends. Why is Jesus weeping as he enters Jerusalem? He's weeping because he knows the horrors of hell. So it is a serious issue we are dealing with, beyond our understanding. Jesus is saying, all human beings who commit sin, all of us are on a path to suffer torment in hell. And so the question we must ask ourselves is quite simple. How then, if all sinners are headed to hell, how then can I escape hell when I'm so hopeless against my sin? I was looking at people asking this question online this past week. They're asking, we are all sinners. How can we escape? How can we escape such horror? If it is our basic disposition, how can we? I thought myself and said, look, Lord, I only have two eyes. I can't cut enough. I have so many sins. How can I escape it? Well, the good news of the Bible is that God has made his way of escape. And that is our third point there, isn't it? That Jesus serves not all sinners, repentant Truly repentant sinners from hell. So the first point is that hell is a terrible place to live in. Who would want to go there? The second point is that God punishes sinners in hell. But here's the good news of Jesus. Jesus has come to serve repentant sinners from hell. You know, I said at the start that extinction rebellion, um, Jesus differs from extinction rebellion because he teaches us that we will never cease to exist. All human beings live forever and will be punished by God for their sin eternally. But Jesus also differs from extinction rebellion in another way. He is not looking to you to solve the problem. Extinction rebellion wants us to do something about it. And they believe the relationship the solution lies with us. But Jesus says, no, the solution doesn't lie with you. The solution to hell which you face lies with me. Jesus he is the answer to the problem of hell. And we see here, actually, as we read this passage, that there is an alternative to hell, and that is life in the kingdom of God. Look at verse 43 again. It says this 
the second sentence, it is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. He repeats that in verse 45. It is better for you to do what? To enter life. Again in verse 47. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God. Do you see this? If you, there is an alternative to hell. Jesus doesn't deny the reality. He presents the reality to you and he says, this is the answer. And the answer to hell is to enter the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of, there's a sense in which God is the king over all things, right? There's a sense in which the entire world is his kingdom, but we have rebelled against God. So all of us in this world are actually outside the kingdom of God, outside his fullness, outside his glory. If you like, we are born in this world with spiritual passport stamped hell. You are entered this world as a citizen of hell. But the good news of Jesus is that he has come to offer you, if you like, to remove your citizenship of hell and his horrors and bring you into the kingdom of God. And the whole book of man is really about that because this is Jesus' mission. Do you remember when we looked at Mark chapter 1, verse 14 to 15? Do you remember those words? It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying what? The time is fulfilled. The Kairos moment has arrived. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus is saying, repent and escape hell. You can have life free of hell. You can have life in the kingdom of God. Because Jesus is God the Son, and he has come to put on our humanity, and he's walked the road to Golgotha. There on that road is torn, he is beaten, and then he is nailed to that cross of wood. And as Jesus is dying there on the cross, the ground beneath begins to shake. Why is it shaking? Well, it's shaking. And it's shaking because God's wrath is being poured on Jesus. Because the earth, as, Jesus, as it shakes, we are told the earth is darkened on the cross. It is happening, you see, because the wrath, the hatred of sin that God has, all of it for three hours is concentrated on Jesus. God is pouring the wrath, the hell that you deserve on Jesus. We might even say on that moment, Jesus is descended into hell, not the physical place, but he's suffering hell there. Because God's wrath has been poured on him. God has seen it fit to punish Jesus. Therefore the hell you deserve. And you see, because Jesus has taken on himself the full wrath of God for you, you don't have to deny the existence of hell. You can accept the existence of hell. And you can come to Jesus now, and you can surrender to Jesus. There is no excuse, beloved. You can be free from hell forever by true and genuine repentance, by a true movement of the will. But I'm not talking about here Sunday attendance. I'm not talking about here just simply obeying ma'am to come to church or dad or whatever it is. Or because my spouse comes here, I have to come to church. I'm not talking about church. I'm talking about you repenting and trusting in Christ for yourself. And how does this repentance look like? Well, Jesus says it is almost like cutting off your body parts. 
Look at verse 45. Or 47 even. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Now, Jesus here is not calling on us to hack off body fat. Rather, what he's doing is that he's using exaggerated speech to underline that true repentance means, beloved, getting rid of anything that stands between us and God. True repentance is repeating what Jesus said in Mark 8, verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said, if anyone would come after me, beloved, if anyone would escape hell, Jesus is saying, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I'm very saddened as I thought about this. And many, many, many people who attend church, many church members, even in our Grace Baptist churches, are going to hell. Because their repentance is not genuine. It is not Mark 8, verse 34. They have not abandoned the idolatry of living for themselves. Jesus is saying true repentance is to say, I am a sinner. I turn to you now to change me. I no longer live for myself. I resign the board of directors of my life. I'm losing my life to take up the cross to follow you. For me, it is Jesus now for me to live. That's what Jesus says repentance is. And beloved, when you surrender to Jesus like that, what he does is he gives you a new heart. A new heart that enables you to think differently, love differently, live differently. Change happens. To be a Christian is a real thing. It is God himself joining in your heart. A second genesis, new life comes in. Change happens. It is never one in, one out. It is dead souls being brought to life, as Brother Michael likes to pray. We are looking for something. This is talking about something completely different. It is new life. And I asked myself this week, Lord, do I have this new life? Do I have this? And you have to ask yourself, is this your repentance? Are you trusting Jesus like that? Do you love him? Do you long to serve him? Do you hate your sin in your life? Is your life? Because when Jesus changes you, are you at war with sin in your life? Do you delight in his word? Has Jesus given you new affections? Are you wrestling with Jesus in prayer? Are you longing after Jesus? Do you love the people of God? Are you growing every day in these things? Does your heart beat for Christ? Because if it doesn't, beloved, there's a the reason for that. You're still dead. You're still dead. Those things don't serve you. But if you are truly served, you grow in these things. Are you growing in these things? This is not something that I, my wife can answer for me for. This is something I must answer for myself. I can't answer for her. I can't answer for Abigail. You can only answer this for yourself. Are you born again? Truly born again? Because if the answer is no, beloved, then you are on the road to hell. And, the st- and you cannot risk hell. Come quickly before God now and plead to him to forgive you. Based on the blood of Jesus, why would you go to hell when a way has been provided? Why would you even leave it? I thought about this, you know, this morning. You know, I woke up this morning trying to iron my shirt. And I was trying to run around trying to iron it, right? And I thought, 
Why am I like this? Um, I could have done this last night. And now I'm running late, you know, since Danny was coming to play. And I needed to be here, open it on time. I'm like, there's no point of me blaming why no one else is opening the church. I just need, why, 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 why am I not ready? And I realized the reason for that is simple. I like putting off everything. And of course, my wife reminds me, I like putting off things that I should be doing. I'll call my mother tomorrow, then I don't. I do that. And all of us do that with our lives, isn't it? I'll repent tomorrow. Beloved, if you don't believe what I'm telling you here, the first thing you should do is go home this this, this afternoon, open the Bible, study it for yourself, ask God to reveal these truths to you. Because you cannot live them and just let them. You don't know when you're going to die. When you're going to face God. And you cannot second guess your salvation. You must be sure that you have evidence of true repentance. And I would encourage parents to be sure that their children have evidence of true repentance. And to weep and pray for their children. Because you see, there is an alternative to hell, isn't it? And if you, if, you, if, you, if you refuse to surrender to Jesus, you are making, beloved, a conscious decision to bear the full weight of God's punishment for sin. Jesus has been crushed for you. He has taken on the full hammer of hell. And you are saying, no, I don't want that. I, I want to do it on my own. I want to face God on my terms. That's what you're doing. But I'm pleading with you, don't go to hell. Come before Jesus now. Repent of your sin. Turn to him. And you know, if you are trusting in Jesus, yes, there are signs that you're struggling in one or two areas, but you know that you're growing in loving him. You're growing in delighting in his words. You actually, when you miss, when you're not with God's people, it even crushes you. You want to be with God's people. You want to know more of Jesus. You want to share Jesus with others. Right? If that is you, then there's good news here that you belong to the kingdom of God forever. And that's a wonderful thing. But the problem is that, you see, many of us think life with God, we think it's going to be going into heaven, to being in heaven is going to be like a really long church service, right? We think when we're in heaven, it'll be like a long sermon, right? And there'll be no excitement, we just fall asleep, and you already, of course, fall asleep on Sundays, and you're thinking, why do you want to go to heaven, right? That's your attitude. You're not excited about heaven because you think it's going to be a church service. But beloved, nothing further from the truth. The psalmist describes for us how it's like going to be like in heaven or how it is like to be in the presence of God. In Psalm 84 verse 10 it says this, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Right? I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Can you imagine? Pick your ten favorite moments of your life. Just pick them. The ones you've experienced. Perhaps when you first landed your dream job, right? Maybe when you went to your favorite location in Dubai and enjoyed yourself there, right? Or perhaps when you met your lo- the love of your life and you're just blown away. Like, wow, she picked me? <laughs> How did that happen? And you just, that's just your favorite moment of your life. Or perhaps when you watch your child being born, you held, a, you held him or her in your hands and you just thought, I just want this moment forever. Or perhaps you're a granddad when you're pushing your child on the swing. We have many wonderful moments in our lives, isn't it? But the Bible says one day with God is better than a lifetime of all your favorite moments. 
If you enjoy your life now, imagine what life will be like without any sin. No one bothering you at work. There will be no death to worry about. No angry parents. No, no calling you up, complaining. Uh, no, 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 no neighbors who just don't mean well for you. And no relatives that you just can't bear, but you have to deal with them every Christmas. This is different. This is a life without pain, isn't it? It's a life without mourning, right? And Revelation tells us in Revelation 21, verse 3 to 5, where, where, where John has this vision of heaven. And he says this, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Death defeated. Neither shall there be any mourning or crying. Pain gone. The former things, John says, have passed away. And then we read this in verse 5 of Revelation 21. And he who was seated on the throne, that is Jesus, said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, because these words are trustworthy and true. Heaven is for real, just as hell is for real. You know, the words of the hymn we're about to sing puts it well, isn't it? It will be truer than imagine. We, the, the hymn writer puts it because he says this, When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praises than when we had first began. It will be wonderful in heaven. And if you're trusting in Jesus, it is amen, isn't it? It is thank you, Jesus. Thank you for serving me. Thank you for being my savior. I want to live for you because heaven, not because hell is just so horrible, I don't want to go there, but because heaven is so, so wonderful. And I want to spend it with you. And it should inspire you to get this message out to others. You know, if you've ever watched a disaster film like uh, Outbreak or Contagion, what happens when a virus breaks out? Well, a virus breaks out, everybody's running around. But immediately when the cure is found, what happens? All the doctors, all the scientists, they are in the race through the movie, isn't it? They're striving to get the cure out to people. They don't want any more people to die. They want people to have the cure that will save them. That's enough, man. Outbreak. You can verify for yourself. Right? There's an agency there. An extinction rebellion type agency to find a solution. And they make it available for free and fast. My friends, your family members, your friends, your children, your spouses, your neighbors, your colleagues at work are infected with a terrible disease called sin. And it is sending them into the flames of hell. If you have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have the cure in your hand. This cure can save them. It can free them from hell forever. Are you just going to let them perish without the medicine? Take Jesus to them, beloved. Take Jesus to them. Take Jesus to them starting on your knees. If you find it difficult just to pick up the phone to speak to perhaps a relative who just doesn't want to talk to you. Take Jesus to them. God is always going to save those who he wants. I'm a, I'm a Calvinist. And I'm proud of being a Calvinist. Right? I believe God is always going to save those he wants to save. But what does he say, beloved, about your heart 
if you are not doing everything to give these people the medicine, the spiritual medicine they need, what does it say about you? I think what it tells me is that you are heartless. And that worries me because if you are heartless, well, it means you lack love. And if you lack love, well, you can't be a Christian. Yeah, it's that simple. You can read and verify First John. It takes about 15 minutes working through the whole book. It's quite easy to read. Well, read easy for John. It tells me you're heartless. And it tells me, it tells me that, or it tells me that you don't take hell seriously at all. What that tells me is that you, Jesus means not much to you. His words don't come for anything. So that's another problem. Again, that means that you don't love Jesus. Now, it may also mean the third thing, which is, until now, like me, you have never really pondered these thoughts. You have never really understood the horrors of hell. You never considered it. No one has taught you. No one has discipled you. No one has shown you these things. Well, I'm not saying you can be discipled in one sermon, of course, even if it takes an hour. But I am saying the Bible is in front of you, and Jesus is showing you here the horrors of hell. If thinking and posing about hell sends you to sleep, you find this boring, then the condition of your heart is the issue. Well, unless you are elderly, of course. The point of the matter is here that you must take these things seriously. Because if you don't take hell seriously, if you're not sharing Jesus with others, well, it means you have not been saved from the horrors of hell. Only you know the answer whether you have been saved from the horrors of hell. So I ask you now to go before God to surrender yourself to him. Beg him to help you take hell seriously if you're a true follower of Jesus. Ask God to help you take Jesus to others. And start this week, beloved. If there's someone who needs Jesus in your life, set aside the whole evening just begging God, praying before God to save them from hell. Many of our saints can't, don't meet many people. They are elderly, they are unbound. But they are champions on their knees. They can't take Jesus to others on their knees. Do that. Do you have a neighbor who does not know Jesus? Beloved, to save a sinner from hell forever, is it a big thing inviting that neighbor for coffee just one hour? To build that relationship? Is it so unimportant that you won't open your homes to others, your neighbors, to tell them about Jesus? Well, do you have somebody that is a friend you can invite to church? Just one week. Just once. Once every year. Well, do it, beloved. Do it. The agency demands it. Jesus is telling us, and you've listened very patiently that hell is real. All human beings are headed there by default. We are sinners, and he has come to serve them. Our Lord Jesus wants to do more than just say amen to what he said. He wants us to live in light of the reality of hell. Amen.